Take your Bibles and go to 1 Samuel chapter number 18 tonight. 1 Samuel chapter number 18. It's very true, life has a way of throwing curveballs, and uh, things don't always work out the way you think they should, or the way you thought they would, and uh, the truth of this, uh, the message of that song is, uh, is evident in that even when it doesn't work out the way you think it's supposed to, God's still doing something, and uh, it's kind of fitting with some of the things we're going to be talking about tonight uh, in the life of David. There's some things that take place in David's life that uh, they're just not fun. <laughs> things uh, just uh, that he had to go through that probably didn't appreciate at all in the moment, <laughs> right? Uh, David was anointed king, was it back in chapter number 16, I believe, uh, 16, David is anointed to be king, and then we get to chapter 18, and uh, him feeling like he's any kind of royalty is so far away in his own mind because of the way he's being treated here. Take your, again, in 1 Samuel chapter number 18, look in verse number 5 to start out with. It says, And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. And Saul set him over them, uh, over uh, the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. And it came to pass as they came when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistines that a woman came out of all, the, uh, of all cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy, and with instruments of music. And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very wroth and the saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can, I have, uh, what can he have more but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day forward, and it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit uh, from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied in the midst of the house. And David played with his hand as at other times, and there was a javelin in Saul's hand, and Saul cast a javelin for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence twice. And Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and was departed from Saul. Therefore, Saul removed him from him and made him his captain over a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David behaved himself wisely in all his ways. And the Lord was with him. Wherefore, when Saul saw that he behaved himself very wisely, he was afraid of him. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be in church tonight. Father, every time I come to this book, Lord, it seems I just appreciate the fact that you took the time to record these things. Uh, I'm thankful for the men that uh, uh, you used, and uh, Lord, you've allowed their lives to be on display for our benefit. And so as we Open the book again tonight. We ask, Father, that you would breathe on it. Father, we ask that you'd bypass all flesh and, Lord, all human intellect. And, God, that you would do something here in our midst tonight that's supernatural. Father, we, as we open up the book, we plead the blood of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you'd uh, fill me with the Holy Spirit, God, and use me 
uh, Lord, as I try to open up the, the, uh, the book and, and give the thoughts that you've put on my heart, I pray, Father, that you'd be with everyone that's here tonight. I pray that we'd get something. Father, I pray we'd learn something that would get us a little closer to you. Father, the best that I can right now, I yield myself to you so uh, you can do with me as you will. And I pray that uh, all of us here would do the same. Father, we ask that you bless this time now, and we ask it in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. 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 You may be seated. Three times in the passage in which we just read, there's a phrase that is stated in some way, shape, or form, and that is simply that David behaved himself in a certain way. And uh, it's, it's important that I, I think that the, that, the, that the Word of God records it as such when it says that he behaved himself wisely. And that, what is that? that alludes to the fact that David's behavior was noted, that David's behavior was seen, that David's behavior was important. And just like it was important in David's day, today, how Christians behave themselves is extremely important, especially in the world in which we live in, and the fact that behavior is, uh, is, is, is relative of what is good and what is not uh, approved behavior. You live in a place now where morality is gone. Uh, any semblance of truth is gone. You ha- live in a society now where uh, evil is good and good is evil. And we know what the Bible says about those kinds of days. And, uh, and, and, we, and we still know that we can live godly in this present evil world. But they'll never know you live godly unless they see something different in your behavior. And your behavior, I would do a, run a few verses here uh, just for the sake of setting up uh, the thoughts that I want to move forward with. We'll get back to David in just a second. But God gives us a great example uh, in Paul. And of course, we know that when we, when we talk about things here in the Old Testament, it's important to keep ourselves anchored in what's exactly written to us. And Paul makes a statement in 1 Timothy chapter number 3 and verse number 15. He makes this statement, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. He says, you know what? It's really important that Christians understand how they should behave themselves. It's really, really important. In 1 Corinthians, and if you're following, taking notes, 1 Corinthians chapter number 13, in verse number 4, the Bible says that charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not, that not itself. Neither is it puffed up. And it says it doth not behave itself unseemly. It seeketh not her own. It's not easily provoked. It thinks no evil. Now, it's important that you see that he says the word charity there. Because if you take that and you go over to 2 Peter... I know we're doing a little bit of a Bible study, but I don't think we're, uh, we're uh, uh, in, in danger. <laughs> a little bit of Bible aerobics here for the beginning, and then I'll let you have some easy, easy listening after that. How about that? I'll tell you some stories or something. Uh, in 2 Peter chapter number 1, 2 Peter chapter number 1, look in verse number 3. Again, we're talking about the importance of Christians' behavior It says, according to his divine power, hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life. Not just life, but life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory. And look at that word, virtue. What is that? 
That's how you live your life. Right? Those are the characteristics that should encompass who you are. We call it character, ladies and gentlemen. We call it character. And uh, in verse number four, he gives you uh, some more clarity here. He says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. He's saying, you need to have not just character, but you need to have Christian character. And he's about to tell you how you can have Christian character. He says he's given you these great and precious promises. He's given you this book in front of you so that you can then uh, you can extract the attributes that you should have that 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 make up your character. And he says uh, the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So we know that this divine nature, this Christian character is 100 percent opposite to the world in which you live. It's diametrically opposed to the character that you find in the world. He tells you that up front. And besides this, verse 5, giving all diligence, add to your faith. We see the beginning of character is simply faith. It's you getting saved, trusting the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the beginning of character. It says, it says add to your faith virtue. Virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, temperance, to temperance, patience, to patience, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness, look at what he says, charity. Finally, these things, he says, charity, if you remember what we just read, charity behaveth itself in a certain way. And charity, if you realize what charity is, it's the binding agent of all these other things. The thing that encompasses and keeps them all together is this bond of charity. And if you have these things in your life, it says, For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of your Lord Jesus Christ. Even more so in verse 10, he tells you this, Wherefore, uh, the rather, uh, the brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, ye shall never fall. What a great promise. He says, if you have a certain kind of character, you won't fall. Now listen, I, I understand what David says in the, in the same passage in which we're, that we're currently at and a few chapters over. He says, man, there's but one step between me and death. He has, he, he's, 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 he's saying that, man, there's, there's this thing called life and, and I'm, I'm one step away from it being over and I want to make it until the end of this thing. I don't just think that because I believe the King James Bible today and my family's in church today and I'm preaching in church today that next week or a month from now or two years from now, I'm still going to be here. But I know this, if my character is right, the Bible says I'll never fall. And if I do fall, or if you fall, or if you've heard of somebody else falling, you know what you know? There was something wrong with their character. There was something wrong with it. What does character look like to other people from the outside? If you have character, what do other people see? Go to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. Chapter number 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 2, look in verse number 10. Paul says, Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily, that, that's uh, not W-H, but as in, as in uh, completely, but holy as in holy, and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. Paul realized as he goes in and out of these churches, how people perceive him is of the utmost importance. And so his character is completely on display to these people. And he says, what did it look like to you? It looked like it was holy. 
It was just and it was unblameable. That's what his character looked like. 2 Thessalonians chapter number 3, he gives us another, another uh, 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 description of what it looks like to the outside world, what it looks like to people you're trying to minister to. If you have good character, what does it look like to them? If you, if, listen, if you see somebody in your life and you say, that's a man of character, that's a person that has Christian character, these are things you should be able to say about them. 2 Thessalonians chapter number 3, look in verse 7. For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us, for we behaved not ourselves disorderly among you. What is character? It's not disorderly. It's not out of place. God does things decently and in order. So if you see somebody who's out of order, if you see somebody that's drawing attention to themselves and is out of the chain of command or is kind of rogue and doing their own thing, what is that? Not a person of great character. Because you're disorderly. You like that? (laughs) I like when we do these kinds of things because I'm not saying I'm just reading the Bible. (laughs) What does character look like to you? What does it, that's what it looks like externally. What does a Christian character look like internally? Paul gives us a glimpse of that. You don't have to turn there, but 1 Corinthians chapter number 9, verse 27, he says, But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. So Christian character to you internally means you have your flesh under control to some degree. Understood? <laughs> it's not that you're perfect. It's not that you're, uh, that you're sinless. But the fact of the matter is, he says, I have to be able to tell my flesh no. Because if I have my flesh out of control, people will look at my life and say, I'm not listening to a word he's got to say. What is that? Man of little character. 2 Corinthians chapter number 10, verse number 5, this internal character, what does it look like? He says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. It's not just to have my members under control, but it's to have my thoughts under control. It's when my thoughts start to get out of whack, I'm able to identify and say, that's not right. I shouldn't be thinking like that. I shouldn't have that attitude. I shouldn't have that outlook. And you grab it and you bring it into captivity and and to the obedience of Christ. Hey, I shouldn't be thinking those things. I shouldn't be be, uh, mad at this person. I shouldn't let this thing affect me the way it's affecting me. I'm thinking wrong. That's what character looks like internally. But Paul also shows us a very important truth about Christian character. Take your Bibles and go to Romans chapter 7. I must admit, if I'm being honest, I find myself turning to Romans chapter 7 quite often in my Christian life. Romans chapter 7 and verse number 14, although if you read it fast... You could get confused, but when you slow it down, the weight of the words, well, it really helps. In verse number 14, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. 
If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me. I want to do it. I have a will to do it. But to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. And look at what he says here in verse 24. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? You know what we see here with the Apostle Paul? We see that character is not something you're born with. The character that we read about Paul in 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, what he's reminding folks in Timothy, how they ought to behave themselves, uh, these these words of wisdom and, and, and great power and the testimony that he had, the people he was preaching to. We know that Romans being one of the earlier books that Paul wrote, we know that Paul, he's identifying the fact that I have a desire to do certain things, but I got a problem and that is I lack character. The things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing them. And the things that I don't want to do, that's what I'm doing. And so the hard truth about character, especially Christian character, is that it's not something you're born with. Character is something that has to be developed in you. Character is something that has to be, hear me again, developed in you. You're not just born with it. It's not something that you just come out and they smack you on the bottom and you start crying and all of a sudden, you know, you can, you can tell yourself no and all of a sudden you can contain yourself and, you, you know, you're hungry and you're like, I'm not going to cry about it. I'm just going to wait. I'm sure they're not going to starve me, you know. Babies don't think like that. <laughs> you know, you get a child and they're screaming about it and you're like, why are you crying? It's not a big deal. People that have little character make big deals out of little things. The saying goes, uh, little people make little things big, and big people make big things little. You like that? (laughs) You hear that? (laughs) Rewind that one and play it back again. Uh, Maybe you'll get it. That has something to do with your character. Listen, some people, they like to blow things out of proportion. Why? Because they don't have any character. When he's talking about character in 1 Corinthians, he's talking to a carnal church. He says, how can I talk to you about spiritual things when you can't even handle carnal things? You're carnal. Listen, folks, the epidemic that we have in the church today, you could probably put your finger on many. But the truth of the matter is, is in society as a whole, we lack character. We don't have it anymore. America was built on people that had character. America was built on people that had morals, on the backs of Christians that were trying to please God. And so they went to work every day and they worked their fingers to the bone so that they could make something for themselves in the country in which they loved and they could serve God and country. (laughs) Hey, listen, this isn't a political message tonight, but those days are over. Those days are gone. It used to be Christians, you would do right and Christians would do right and they had such a sense of character, a sense of, of honor and a sense of dignity and a sense of integrity that there were certain things a Christian just would not do. 
Their character wouldn't allow it. You go to a church today, a modern church today, with the screens and the bands and everything else, no holds barred. They're not governed by character. They look exactly like the world. They have the same character as the world, and they want to mix Jesus in it so that they can get uh, their fix of Jesus for the week. That's not how it should be. David here undoubtedly was a man of character even before 1 Samuel chapter 18. The question at hand is, okay, well, if I'm not born with character and character is something that has to be developed, we go back to our text and the question that we pose tonight is how in the world do I develop character? How do I, how do I take myself that I, I see flaws in my character, I see holes in my character, I see holes in my behavior, I see holes in my thoughts and in the things that I do. I can, I can, uh, uh, I can echo the, the saying with, with Paul in, in Romans chapter 7, and I find myself in that conundrum. Well, the question we pose to David tonight is, well, how did you get your character, David? I mean... A man after God's own heart. The best king Israel ever had. A man of great character. How did you get it, David? Well, first thing, some of David's character was instilled in him as a child. It was instilled in him as a child. You know that from back in chapter number 17. as David, and we get a little peek into, the, into the, the, the young childhood of David in chapter 16 and chapter 17. And in chapter 16, we find that David is in the field taking care of sheep. He is a, he's a shepherd boy. All his brothers are you know, trying, to, trying to impress everybody with their strength and their uh, capabilities on the battlefield and, and their intellect. And David, he's just taking care of sheep. He's just doing what he's supposed to to do, when he's supposed to do it, how he's supposed to do it, and uh, we know that he's a man of character because when he goes to send his brothers and take to his brothers those uh, provisions that were given to him to take to them on the battlefield, he takes his sheep and he leaves them with somebody else as to not be irresponsible with his duties. That's character. Not only that, but he gets to the battlefield and he sees his brothers and he's not greeted with a great welcome. He's, he's then demonized for his presence there. Amen. Why are you here? He says, what in the world are you talking about? And then he hears the, the noise through the crowd and he sees the fear stricken in the eyes of the soldiers, even as a young boy. And he said, and they, and they, and they say, well, someone's got to go down here and fight this guy, but everybody's scared to do it. And he looks at them and he makes these great statements. He says, is there not a cause? Isn't there something bigger than you and I? Why are you afraid? Don't you serve God? As a young man, he showed great feats of character. And undoubtedly, that was stuff that was instilled in him as a child. His father took some time with him. You see, as a child, you know what you need? You need somebody to mentor you. You need a parent. You see, it's instilled in him via his childhood through the means of submission. That's how he's starting to gain his character. He wouldn't have had that character if he didn't submit to what his daddy told him to do. He wouldn't have had that character if every time Jesse came to him and said, Hey, Jesse, get out there in the field. He went, Oh, I don't want to go out in the field you hear what I'm saying right now? 
Hey, David, uh, sheep need to be tended to. I don't want to tend to sheep. They stink. They don't listen. And they always just they annoy me. And I don't want to do that. Can I just stay back here and play with my, you know, sling and rocks and stuff? That wasn't David. David said, yes, sir. And out to the field he went. And there was little things that Jesse would tell him to do. And of course, in his little childlike mind, there's no doubt he had questions of why he was asked, being asked to do such a thing. But what David did was he submitted himself to his father. Young people, are you listening? You want character? Okay, do you have some parents that are trying to teach you some things? Why are you always bucking them? Why are you giving them a hard time? Why, is, why do they have to ask you twice? That stuff is gone nowadays. Look at kids nowadays. Look at kids, how they respond to their parents. I'm talking, listen, I'm not talking about the ones you see in Walmart. I'm talking about youth event kids. I'm talking about the folks in our churches. I may, I may have a little bit of experience in that. Just a little bit. Just a tiny, tiny, incy-wincy little bit. I look at that and, I go, and, 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 and when they talk to me, they're spiritual giants. But then they, re, they, don't, they forget that you have a hearing range of more than five feet. And then you listen to them talk when they don't think that you can hear them and you, and you go, what is going on there? Why are you so rebellious? Why you got such a hard time doing what you're told? Why is it I don't want to do that. Have to be told three and four times to do something. You know what you lack? You lack character. I expect that out of little ones. Had a young, had a young man uh, at the youth event and not allowed to have a cell phone. And I went to him and said, you got to give me your cell phone. Sorry, I ain't doing that. Excuse me? <laughs> I ain't giving you my cell phone. You're not giving me your cell phone. I don't think you know how this works. <laughs> you don't have a choice. Well, it's a safety issue. No, no, it's not, moron. It's not because you're fine. And if there's a safety hazard, guess what? I'll be here and I'll come to your rescue. <laughs> Why do they act that way? I guarantee they act the same way at home. No character. Why not? You won't submit to anything anybody tells you to do. Nobody can tell you what to do. Your parents can't tell you what to do. Your preacher can't tell you what to do. Your boss can't tell you what to do. You can't hold a job because your boss tells you to do something. Oh, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to go get carts in the rain. <laughs> yeah. Right? Why are you telling me to do that? It's funny. I've done this long enough and worked in enough places. Every place I've ever worked, I've ended up being in a place of management. And I've always had somebody underneath me. And they come and, you, and undoubtedly you hire somebody new and they come. And, uh, and all of a sudden they've been there five minutes and they can exactly point out everything that's wrong with the process and what you're doing. Yeah. Yep. Right? And they're like, well, why, are you, why do you do it this way? It's because that's the way we do it. Well, shouldn't you do it? No, we've actually, see, if you were here for longer than 15 minutes, you would know that we've already tried that and there's a reason we're not doing it that way and we didn't hire you because of your great business intellect and how you do processes and procedures. We just hired you to wash dishes, so just do that and shut up. Yeah. Right? right? I don't like that. You're mean. You're No, 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 no. You don't have any character. 
Christians lack it. You know what, parents? We get on the kids and we switch it. Everyone's like, wait a minute, we liked what you were saying before. (laughs) We fail to instill character in our kids. We do. We fail to take the time required with your kids to instill in them the character that's going to set them up for the rest of their life. Amen. Because you want to know what that does? That takes time. That takes deliberate effort. That takes, listen, our methods are all messed up. You know that? Our methods are messed up. I must confess, I have a tendency uh, to be more of a, a, a disciplinary, a strict parent. You know, that's my tendency. And if I'm not careful, I'll think that I can instill a character in my children by screaming at them all day long. That's what my, that's, that's my inclination. That's the side that I can lean to if I'm not careful. But guess what? Have you ever learned anything by just someone screaming at you? With no, with no, why am I going to explain to them why? Now, I get that. There are certain instances when the kid doesn't need to know why. But do you ever tell them why? Do you, ever try to, do you ever try to show them your thought process so that maybe they start thinking like more than a mature, you know, a more mature adult than just a child? See, sometimes we think that we can parent just from the stance of, I'm the parent. No, you've got to change your method. People don't, people don't just hear that. Well, they fear me. Okay, so just because they fear you, doesn't mean you've instilled anything in them. And you won't find that out until they turn 18. Well, you don't have teenagers. Okay, I've watched enough teenagers. Listen to me. I've watched enough teenagers at 16 and 17 years old on the stinking starting line like this, and they can't hear anything their parents are saying because they're, so, they're just waiting for the, for the gun to go off so they can run as fast out of the gate as they can because they're sick of it. I've watched them by the droves leave churches. I've watched them by the droves. They don't listen to one word you say because it's your way or the highway. Character is instilled in them as children, and it's up to the parents to do it in a fashion to where we're teachers. We're not dictators. Amen. (laughs) We're doing okay? All right. We're doing all right. We're doing okay. David had character because things that he, he had to learn to submit himself to a daddy. I bet you had a good daddy. I bet you Jesse was a good daddy. I bet you Jesse find, found him out there and every once in a while David would be out there sitting on a rock and he's all by himself and he's looking at those sheep he's tending to and it's getting dusk outside and he thinks he's all by himself and he's having conversations with God and he's looking up at the stars and he's singing and he's playing that harp and all of a sudden he hears something shivering, you know, down in the distance and he's looking over there and uh, up over the crest of that hill he sees his dad walking up over the hill. He says, hey David, how you doing man? I just wanted to come out and say goodnight and just talk to you for a minute while he's out here in the field. Hey dad, how's it going? He says, man, I just want to let you know you're doing a great job out here watching these sheep. You know, a lot of kids, they never get that. I'm talking Bible-believing kids. They don't get that. Hey, you did a great job. I'm proud of you. 
I appreciate you doing it that way. Thank you. Last time you told your kids thank you. He says, I just want to let you know that there's a reason you're out here, man. Hey, Dad, listen, it's okay. I'll do whatever you ask me to do. No, David, I just want you to know if you be faithful in these little things, one day the Lord may open up a door and you'll be faithful in the big things. Dad, I appreciate that. It was those educational moments between him and Jesse that formulated the character and the embryo of David's life. That when he gets to the state in which he's in now in chapter number 18, he was the one that was able to go down and kill Goliath. He was the one that wasn't afraid to at least stand up to a bear and a lion to protect the sheep that his dad put him in charge of. He would not have put himself in that danger had he not trusted his daddy had his best uh, intentions in mind. That character was instilled into him and he submitted himself. It's a two-way street, ladies and gentlemen. It's a two-way street. Some of this character was instilled in him as a child through submission. Some of David's character, as we see here in chapter number 18, was developed in him as a man. Because, folks, there's only so much you can learn through instruction. <laughs> you understand? There's only so much that your parents can instill in you. Listen to me, I, I've met some fantastic young people. I think as far as young people go, I have a lot of respect for young people in our church. Uh, uh, they, they, have, they have proven themselves to me time and time again over the years uh, in their character. Have they had hiccups? Sure. Are they perfect? No. Uh, your parents can attest to that. You say, oh, well, you don't know my kid. All right, whatever. <laughs> but uh, I can say this, I have a lot of respect for them. And I've met some great young people. But you know what I know? No matter how good they are, if they're going to continue in their development with the Lord and in their character with Jesus Christ, there's going to be some things that they have to go through that nobody can prepare them for. You can give them the baseline to where you can teach them where to turn to. You can teach them how to hit their knees. You can teach them that they got to be in their Bible. You can teach them the fundamentals. But ladies and gentlemen, there's some things uh, in David's life that, that we see here in chapter number 18 that some of David's character had to be developed on him as a man through the means of suffering. Period. Dr. Ruttman, he was a, he was a drill instructor and, and, uh, and a teacher uh, in the Philippines during World War II. He was uh, training in hand-to-hand combat down in the Philippines. And um, uh, he told us one night in Bible class, he said, he says, there's only one way to train a soldier. There's only one way to, to, there's only one way to create a soldier ready for the battlefield. He says, and, and, and you know, he says, you know how that is? You have to persecute them. You have to put them in hard scenarios. You have to make it hard on them. You have to destroy uh, what they think they know and build them back up into something that you want them to be. You have to make them suffer. Or you'll never make a soldier. Here's David. He's doing exactly what he's supposed to be doing. He's going out. He's in submission to Saul, just like he was in submission to his father, Jesse. All that character that was instilled in him has gotten him to the place where the people are coming out of the cities and saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. The people clearly in the passage are said to love David. They respect David. He's got the eye and the, and the ear of the king. He's made great friends with the king's son. He's been anointed king, mind you. And it's all the character that was developed 
them him as a young boy, but God's about to take him back to school. And Saul gets something stuck in his craw. And David's sitting there doing exactly what he's supposed to be doing. And all of a sudden, he finds himself dodging javelins. And I don't know about you. Have you ever had to dodge javelins from people before? You want to know how this rattled David to his core. This challenged his outlook. This challenged his, his thought of what he was doing. Am I doing a good job? Am I not doing a good I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. Why is Saul throwing javelins at me? He's suffering. He's like, where is this coming from? This is coming from somebody that I looked up to, I respected, I loved, I, 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 I admire. And now all of a sudden, he's throwing javelins at me, and he's throwing javelins at my life, and he's throwing javelins at, my, at uh, everything that I hold dear. Where is this coming from? You know what the knee-jerk reaction to do? What most of us would do, if someone throws a javelin at you, the thing that makes the most sense is to grab the javelin, pick it up, and throw it back. <laughs> but David doesn't do that. You say, what do you do if somebody starts throwing javelins at you? Get out of the way. Amen. What if you can't get out of the way? Do you really want to know the truth? Someone starts throwing javelins at you and you can't get out of the way. You know what happens? You get stuck. What happens if you get stuck? You bleed. It hurts. That's what happens. You say you pick the javelin up and throw it back? No, you don't. You leave it on the ground. What if they pick up another one? You try to dodge it. What if you can't? You get stuck again, and you bleed, and it hurts. What happens if you don't get any help? You'll die. That's what will happen. You understand that? But at no way, shape, or form is it appropriate for David to pick the javelin up and throw it back. Amen. Where are these things coming from? There is no explanation. Why are they coming? What did I do wrong? Absolutely nothing. Why are you going through the things you're going through right now? It's not because you did anything wrong. You did exactly what God told you to do, the way he told you to do it, with the utmost amount of character. And what are you doing? You're bleeding. You're dodging javelins. Where is this coming from? Why is this happening? What do I do? What do you do? Well, there's nothing you can do. Why? Because he's the king and you're not. <laughs> you like how simple this is? You can't do anything. You know what you do? You take it. For how long? Doesn't say. How's it going to end? Doesn't tell you. What are you doing? You're just suffering. How do I get away from it? You don't. Well, I'll just separate myself from Saul. That doesn't change it. 
Because now when David goes back to his room and he puts his head on the pillow at night, now he's just dealing with the rerun of thoughts and the rerun of things that was said and how they were said and what, what was done. And he's thinking to himself, why is it like that? And I didn't do anything wrong. And then he can start finding all the little problems that was Saul and all the different circumstances that led up to this point. And now he's got this thing formulated in his mind. He's trying to fight back anger. He's trying to fight back uh, sorrow. And now and he looks back and, and doesn't seem to affect Saul at all. The one that asked him to be there. So Saul throws javelins. David gets away. And now he has to go home and die the death of a thousand cuts. With nobody to confide in. Nobody to talk to. Because if he would have done that, then he would have been undermining the king. And then he'd been wrong. So what do you do? There's nothing you can do. You know what you got to do? You got to take it. Whatever situation you're in today, you know what you got to do? You got to take it. Well, it hurts. Yes, it does. I don't see the purpose in it. No, and you probably won't. Well, it doesn't make any sense. It's not supposed to. <laughs> Feeling any better? What is, it, what is the Lord trying to do? He's trying to build some character in David. He's trying to build character in a, in a boy that already has some. Well, God, I already have character. Yeah, but there's something inside of you that you don't see. There's this, there's this force inside of you that wants to take the reins. There's this force inside of you that sometimes clings on to your own righteousness and how much you know and how long you've been doing it and how long and how much you know and all of a sudden you find yourself in a situation where when you're pressed up against the wall all of that stuff starts to come out when you're alone in your bedroom and your head's on the pillow and you go well I'm well, he thinks he's better than me well I've killed my thousands he killed his ten or I've killed my ten thousand he killed his thousands oh wait where's that pride coming from he had no right to talk to me like this. And the Bible says you should let those despitefully use you. Oh, man. Where is that coming from? You mean there was something deep down inside of you that no amount of instruction from your parents or instruction from anybody could remove out of your life? It's only through the sharp, bitter pain of suffering that starts to bring those attributes out on the surface. And the heat gets turned up and all of a sudden the dross starts to come to the top. And oh, how horrible that dross really is when it starts to come up. And that arrogance you have and how highly you think of yourself. And I'm right and they're wrong. And they had no business doing that. And what in the world, who do they think they are? David, who do you think you are? What's your problem? You also think highly of yourself. You see that? Only certain character can be developed, and it only can be developed through suffering. Through suffering. Some of David's character, unfortunately, is only learned over time. It's not something that happens overnight. There's a great amount of pressure on young people and young Christians to grow up too fast. Amen. If you've been in here and you're saved less than 10 years, you realize that some of the stuff you're frustrated about in your life 
shouldn't even frustrate you. I, listen, we have, I, we have an amazing group of people here. I know I speak, I speak for myself, but Pastor and I talk about it a lot from Thursday night folks coming out. Some of these folks have been saved for a little while. Some of you have been saved for a while, but you've just been in a Bible-even church for a little while. And the amount of pressure I see you put on yourself for what you don't know and the frustration, like, you don't realize. You're not light years ahead of where most people are. But you know, sometimes we get in those... You get in those situations, and the best advice I can tell you is stop putting on pressure yourself to grow too fast. Because there's certain things about you and your Christian life that will only be developed and learned over time. You can't speed it up, it's impossible. There's things that I hope, if the Lord tarries 10 years from now, I'll at least know a little bit more than I do now. But you know what I can't do? I can't get frustrated at myself that I'm not 10 years down the road today. I can only be the best version of what I am right now with what God's taught me. And it's the same with you. See, this whole debacle in chapter number 18 starts in 1063 B.C. You all know when David becomes king of Judah? 1056. That's seven years later. You want to know when he becomes king uh, in Hebron, when he becomes the king of all Israel? 1048. That's 15 years from this date. 15 years. But he was anointed king 15 years before he actually is king like Saul was king. And he was king of Judah in seven years, and then it took it took another uh, it took another six years, or, or uh, uh, excuse me, another eight years of two civil wars and all kinds of problems before they take him to Hebron and put a crown on his head. And you know what the Lord's doing? Watching him running from Saul opportunities to take vengeance, and he doesn't do it? That's only done through time. Some of you, some of you, you have the care, you, you say, you say at a one, a one, one, one uh, way in your mouth, you say, you go, well, I would never do that. But the truth of the matter is, you haven't been in this thing long enough to have the opportunity to do the thing that you say you wouldn't do. And on multiple occasions, Saul is delivered to David on a silver platter, and David says, I ain't going to do it. Amen. Why? He's the Lord's anointed. Yep. What do you mean he's the Lord's anointed? He's, he's got Abishai and Joab in his ear chomping at him saying, well, you, he's your enemy, David. He's trying to kill you. He's, ser- he's, ser- he's searching for you. He's hunting after you like a dog. What are you doing? He says, he's God's anointed. I ain't going to touch him. Amen. I ain't going to touch him. And he's given every opportunity to take vengeance on the wrongs that have been done to him. And he chooses not to. And every time he does that, there's another lump of pride that gets swallowed. And a little bit more of David dies. And a little bit more of David dies. You see, some of it was instilled in him as a child by the means of submission. Some of it was instilled in him, or uh, it was developed in him as a man by means of suffering. But see, 
This stuff he's learning over time by means of getting over himself. He's not so worried about being king anymore. He's not so worried about the fanfare. He's not worried about how people view him anymore. He's not worried about the outside and how it looks. He's not worried about his reputation. He's not worried about uh, the awards he's going to get. He's not worried about the chance of the women coming out of the city and saying anything about him. You see, it's been seven years and it's been 15 years of God etching away and erasing parts of David's character that have no business being there. See, this is what sets him apart from Saul. See, Saul could never get out of his own way. Saul was, was set up as king, and every time he got to that junction where he had to wait or he had to make a decision, he always went with what he thought he should do. There was way too much of Saul left in Saul when he became king. Say, well, he started well. Yeah. And Samuel said, when you were little in thine own eyes, when you were little in your own eyes, you became king. But now that you've become king, guess what? You think you're something big. And you think that your ways trump God's ways. And every time something goes against the way you think it should be done, you know what you do? You lean on what you think you should do. And so when he says, kill Agag, slay all the stuff, he doesn't do it. Why? Himself. What Saul thinks he should do. He goes in that battle and he's praying. He says, Lord, show us what to do. Come up or do we go down or whatever? And he waits there for a certain amount of days. Samuel's supposed to come. Samuel doesn't come. So he says, all right, looks like I've got to do this. No, you don't have to do it, Saul. Don't you know that God likes obedience more than sacrifice? See, Saul was too busy trying to prove how macho he was. You read in a couple passages before, you know what you find out? That there was a time where the Philistines, they just went back to their land. They were done fighting. Said, we've had enough. And they go back. You know what the Bible says Saul did? He takes the children of Israel and he, go, he takes his, his armies. He goes across Israel and starts fighting with Moab and all the other ones on the other side. You want to know why? Always got to be fighting. Show them how tough I am. I'm the king. Look at me. And that's exactly precisely why when David gets the accolades of ten thousands and Saul gets his thousands, he says, what in the world are they saying that? I've done everything to these people to show them how great I am. And this is the thanks I get? You want to know what the problem with Saul? There's way too much Saul left in him. Amen. And you know what? It's prophesied that he was going to set up he was going to set up somebody to come in after his own heart. And uh, Samuel even said that uh, he, was going to set, he was going to set up a kingdom. Uh, and back in chapter number 13 and verse 14, it says, But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord hath com uh, commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee.
That was years and years and years and years and years before David ever got to be king. And you know what? Even with that warning, Saul couldn't get out of his own way. And so you know what God did? He says, there's only one way that I can get a man on the throne that's like that. I've got to, I've got to take him out of the picture. I've got to erase himself. He had to erase David's identity and what he thought about himself and any kind of attributes that he had and any kind of pride he had, any kind of confidence he had in himself. The Lord stripped it from him over time. And he saw, and David saw God win battles that he knew he couldn't win on his own. And David saw deliverance come in ways that shouldn't have came. And David started to see the hand of God from the cave of Dulem and from those caves and those trenches and the wilderness and the ditches he found himself in. And eventually, all the way into the land of the Philistines and Ziklag, he saw it through the ashes of Ziklag when he had to go back and take his family home. What did he do? He saw the hand of God. And he saw that it wasn't him. It was God doing it. And so, when David becomes king, and in his later years, Absalom rises up. And he says, I'm going to take the kingdom from my dad. David's response is, take off his head. This is my kingdom. That's not what he says. David says, It was God's gentleness that made me great. He says, if God doesn't want me on the throne anymore, then I'll just gladly leave. It wasn't my throne to begin with. I didn't take the throne. I can't keep the throne. So if God wants Absalom to reign, then tip of the hat to you, my boy. Hope you do a good job. And he tuck tails and he gets out of it. He gets out of Dodge. He doesn't fight for it. You know what we do a lot? Because we lack character. We fight for what we think is ours. Can I tell you something? It ain't yours. God gave it to you. God allowed you to have it. God gave you your brains. God gave you the breath in your lungs. God gives you everything. And you got these stinking Christians with no character saying, oh, well, they're taking away our rights. They're taking away everything that belongs to me. You don't have anything. You don't have nothing. Stand up and fight for something that ain't yours. If God gives, God can take away. And David said, listen, I got nothing to prove to nobody. It's been me and God ever since I left the the palace. And it'll be me and God until I reach heaven. Amen. You know what we need to do, folks? We need to develop some character. I was laying down the other night talking to my wife and make some embarrassing admission to you, but I was raised on a farm where we got up in the morning, we did chores, we did our work and got home at night and we did chores. Very routine, very repetitious. It takes a lot of character to be that kind of a farmer, right? It doesn't just happen easily. Things have to get done. And so you, you commit to something and you do it. You say you're going to do something and you do it. And it has to be done at the same time every single day. And I'm sitting back and I'm thinking about this and the Lord's been dealing with me and And I thank God for that. 
I don't ever want to get to the point where God stops dealing with me about stuff. I don't ever get to the point where God can't ring my bell and say, hey, you need to, we need to do a little bit of development here. There's some holes in your character. There's some things that you need to work on. And I'm laying there and, and I say, you know what? I was instilled some character as a child because of my upbringing. And I've seen that character translate into other areas of my life. I've seen it professionally. I've seen it uh, somewhat in the, in the ministry and in Bible school and that kind of thing. I've seen that, that character do certain things, but I've found myself at a place where some of that character hasn't trans, translated. And there's been some things that the Lord says, you know what? Uh, you got to go through some stuff. You got to go through some stuff. There's some holes in your character. There's some things that you need to change. And you know what? I look at myself in the mirror and I, and I say, you know what? There's too much of you left. There's too much of you left. I see Saul in me sometimes. He shows his ugly face. And I see myself, you know, that pride rises up or that, those, that goal-setting mentality rises up or, you know, some of those things rises up and then all of a sudden you find yourself thinking of yourself in a certain way or having an attitude a certain way. And, and the Lord says, what are you thinking like that for? You know what, if you were to be honest with yourself, what did God Saul did this? You know what? The Amalekites weren't Saul's problem. Samuel showing up late wasn't Saul's problem. Listen, David getting anointed king was not Saul's problem. Saul's problem was that he could never get over himself. If we're being honest tonight, ladies and gentlemen, you want to know what our problem is? We can't get out of our own way. There's too much of us left in us. And, and we know that when bad things happen, we rise up and we get upset and we question and we have all these different things. You know what the problem is? You lack character and I lack character. And if God was done developing character in you, you'd be dead. But he's not. Like Pastor said this morning, he's not done. If he was done, he'd be back. But you know, I know what we need to do? Like David did. That little pride in your throat. That thing needs to be swallowed. You need to submit to the situation God's got you in. Maybe you're running. You find yourself in the cave of Dulem. You find yourself, there's no, there's no chance of me to do it, uh, of getting out of the hand of Saul, so I have to go into the land of the Philistines. Every one of us find ourselves in different situations. Can I say this? It's because God's trying to develop some character in you. He want, Listen, as dark as it is out there, if character is proportionate to the amount of light that you shine, the more character that you have, you'll shine in your workplace. You will shine to lost people. You will shine so bright, as dark as the world is, if God can develop character in us, we will be a beacon of light to all that see. Listen, folks, we have a great opportunity if we will allow God to develop in us what he wants to develop. And that's the only way he can do it. Some of you kids in here, you know what you need to do? 
You need to submit to what your parents is telling you to do. Some of you parents, you know what you need to do? You need to take a little bit more time. You need to be a little more patient. You need to take the tone down a little bit. You need to spend a little bit more time. Maybe you need to say, no, I'm not picking up that shift, and no, I'm not doing this, and the priorities need to shift because that's the only way that they're going to have that character instilled in them. Listen, some of you in here, you're going through it. There's problems at every hand. Health problems, there's people problems, there's financial problems, there's all kinds of problems. And you know what I'm telling you? You ain't going to be able to explain them. You're not going to know why they're there, but you know why they're there? God's trying to make you suffer a little. It's supposed to be uncomfortable. It's supposed to hurt. And you know what it's supposed to do? It's supposed to start to whittle away that portion of you that's left. That's always going to buck God every time he tells you to do something you don't want to do. And the goal is that eventually, folks, guess what? It's just been me and God. It's always been me and God. I have no goals. I have no thoughts. I have no aspirations. I have no, I have no whatever, whatever the Lord wants from me. He's got me this far. He'll get me down the road. And all of a sudden, you know, hopefully he gets us to the place where that self just kind of goes away. And he can then do with us whatever he pleases. And God called David a man after his own heart. How's your character? Let me ask you this. You got too much of yourself left in the way? You find yourself holding yourself back? You ever just sat in the mirror and say, you know what? I need to get my stuff together. I'm out of order. If people were to look at my character like we talked about before, I'm disorderly. I'm, I'm out of whack. I'm out of sorts. I need to get back in this. I need to get, I get, tighten some things up here. Right? Some of you need to get some, 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 some more routines in your life. Some of you need to get some things tightened up. Some of you need to take that thing to the Lord and say, Lord, you know what? I lack character. Will you please develop some character in me? I want to shine for you. Will you develop something in me that only you can develop? I can't do it. Will you please help me? I lack character. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for this book. Thank you for this passage. Father, I pray, Lord, that the things that we find in this passage would be of help. Lord, help us to be a people of character. Help when people see us. They say there's something different about them, but it's not just mouth service, Lord. It's, it's how we act. It's our behavior. David set himself apart by behaving himself wisely. God, I'll admit, Lord, I get in my own way so many times, and I pray you forgive me. And Lord, everything that you've got in my life right now, I pray that it would be helpful, Lord, to just develop more character in me, that I might do something for you in some way, shape, or form. I pray for these that are here at the altar, Lord, that you'd hear their prayers. Lord, and you develop in them what you're trying to develop in them for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.